All right, you guys. Um, you know, in you know, we just had July Fourth, yes. And um, I wanted to break this up. I wanted to do like a, it's like a three pieces here that we're gonna that I want to get into tonight. And um, one is our our need for government. Okay. Sometimes we feel like the governments are just corrupt, and a lot of them are. And for the most part, governments provide protection for people. Occasionally, governments turn on their people and and destroy them and do horrible things with them. But for the most part, most governments are protecting their people. Um, so that being said, we'll get into some scripture that talks about the importance of government. Um, we're gonna go into some speeches from some presidents. First president and um, Madison, the fourth president. And we're gonna see how these speeches that they gave are just quite powerful and very, um, very well done, very um, spoken to the Lord, and it, we'll see how that goes, but it's gonna give us like a baseline of where the United States started, um, what our humble beginnings looked like, and kind of where we are, and then what Jesus says about where we're going. So it's good to know where you are by, from where you've been, right? Give you some contrast. Um, then we're gonna talk about Jesus' statement of end times, which we're gonna go into Luke 21. Most of the time, people talk about Matthew 24, but we're going to do Luke 21, just something different, kind of very much the same material, but just from Luke's point of view. And then we're going to talk about current times, about things that are happening today. I'm not going to touch on everything because there's just so much to talk about. We could spend hours just talking about today's <laughs> current events. I mean, it's just amazing what is happening in the world today. Um, so to get a little baseline going, I want to speak to the idea of, um, of banking and bankers and financing and the kind of role that is involved with, with finances, um, with uh, world leaders and, and debt, like the debt that our country has, debt that now so many um, people have. And, um, you know, when you think about World War II, you know, I, I always look at World War II as like a dress rehearsal for the end times. It was like the mousetrap that's going to be, um, you know, perfected, if you will. And um, so, you know, Germany came out of a, a terrible depression, out of World War I. They had a terrible depression. But then somehow Hitler was able to build up an incredible army before he became fully in power as the Nazi party was starting. He got a lot of money from somewhere because he was building tanks and aircraft and a war machine that was devastating. When it finally hit the, the ground in uh, 1939, um, it was full on. I mean, it was a very, very powerful army that couldn't be stopped. It really couldn't. Um, so I wanna get into a little bit of financing. This is a, um, a little snippet about banking. I just wanna get into this. This is set a little bit of a precedence on, on banking and finances. So it says, uh, Munich, West Germany, a publishing firm claimed Friday to have discovered a book that alleges American bankers supplied Adolf Hitler with millions of dollars to help build up his Nazi party. Dromer Narr, publishers, said they received a copy of the book from a Dutch doctor and were convinced it was authentic. They said the book written by the late U.S. banker Sidney Warburg disappeared during the war. Warburg, a joint owner of the New York Bank, Kuhn, Loeb, and C. described in the book three conversations he held with Hitler at the request of American financiers, the Bank of England, and oil firms to facilitate payments to the Nazi party, the publishers said. 
The book alleged Hitler received 10 million from Kuhn, Loeb, and C during 1929, further payments of 15 million in 1931, and 7 million when Hitler took power in 33, the publisher said. They said Warburg describes himself in the book as the cowardly instrument of his American banking colleagues for having arranged deals with Hitler. The book was originally published in Holland in 1933, shortly before Warburg's death, but disappeared during the war after its translator and publisher were murdered, the publisher spokesperson said. Whether this is all true or not, money was flowing into the Nazi party. Okay? They got a lot of money somehow, somewhere, and it was through banks. And um, so um, you have this, this war machine that's created through a lot of money through these banks. Now, these, these guys, this Warburg and these financiers, they were betting on the Germans winning. They were hedging their bet. You know, we're going to give you a bunch of money, and when you take over the world, you're going to remember us. And, you know, you're going to bring us to power, and we're going to be, you know, rule the world with you kind of a thing. And um, that is, in my opinion, a mentality that a lot of the powers to be, which are bankers, have, um, and they do rule the world. You know, when, when people say the powers to be are doing this or that, you know, who are the powers to be? I, I think those bankers, they're the, the financiers, the guys that control the money, because the guys that control the money call the shots. Uh, they decide who has and who doesn't have. Um, so um, we're going to go into um, uh, government, about what the Bible has to say about government, okay? So just hold on to that whole thing about the Nazis. And... Um, so what would you have done if you were in World War II, if you were in, in World War II, if you were uh, um, a civilian? I mean, what could you do? You could do little skirmishes maybe, help out, hide some people. Um, you could do a few things. You could pray. But you're not going to stop anything as an individual. And that is true today. As things get more and more wicked, what can we do with our government? We can pray. We can do small things. We can affect, you know, people in our lives by sharing Christ with them and, and hopefulness through Christ. Um, you know, we can help people to see that it's not a dismal world, that they're not, you know, in this thing alone, that they can call upon the name of the Lord, they can be saved. There's a lot we can do. Um, so those are things we can do as this world gets darker and darker, and we should do. Uh, so Romans 13 is going to talk about government and the importance of government. It says every person, Romans 13, 1, every person is to be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Uh, do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a servant of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a servant of God and, avenging, and an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. 
for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Pay to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, respect to whom respect, honor to whom honor. Now verse eight, Romans 13 verse eight, says, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Owe nothing, that is great advice. When you owe, you are controlled to a degree. Um, you have to make different decisions. You're not truly free, in my opinion. And I think it's just very powerful and great advice. Owe nothing. Um, Napoleon, speaking of owing nothing, Napoleon stated, quote, when a government is dependent upon the bankers for money, they, and not the leaders of the government, control the situation, since the hand that gives is above the hand that takes. Money has no motherland. Financiers are without patriotism and without decency. Their sole object is gain. So when we see these things happening around the world, we're thinking, man, why would such evil happen in the United States? Why would such weird stuff happen? Why would socialism become this like, new like, push? Why would, it's so bad for the US. The money and the bankers and the finances that be are making money at it. That's how, they, you know, that's, that's how it works. War is a tremendous money-making machine. Always has been, always will be. When there's a stalemate in the economy, wars come about. So, um, so anyhow, um, we don't want to be in debt, you guys. Okay, don't want to be in debt. Um, as of July 2021, foreign countries own roughly one-third of U.S. public debt, with Japan owning the largest chunk of American debt, hovering around 1.2 trillion. U.S. debt to China ranks second, with that country owning roughly 1.07 trillion of American debt. So do you think Japan and China have some say in what's gonna happen here? If those numbers are real. This was July 2021, that was a year ago. Who knows what those numbers are now? But we can see all kinds of influence from Japan. I was reading a story in Epoch Times how China is giving billions of dollars to uh, universities, major universities, Ivy League and others. And the universities are supposed to report those monies to the, the federal government in some way, shape, or form. And they weren't. They got caught not declaring it. And this makes you wonder, what are they doing putting billions of dollars? What's China doing putting billions of dollars into our universities? They're influencing the professors to make the students like-minded to what China's agendas are. Only thing that makes sense, they're not doing it to really try to help the United States. They're trying to get people to think like-mindedly with China. And... Um, worship their God and take, them, take away from our God. And as we know, so many colleges nowadays and universities are destroying our kids. Many, many, many kids go in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and come out totally atheist or, or worse. Um, very sad. But that's just, you, as you, if you look into the news of university and such, you, you can see professors left and right um, 
<laughs> doing that. We just saw a thing where it was a bunch of um, preschool teachers that were talking about how they're going to influence your kids. And I mean, these people that are teaching our, some of these kids in public school were very, uh, <laughs> uh, very liberal. And, um, and it's a trip. That's just teaching kids nowadays, whether they're adult kids or children, children. You've got some pretty strange brews out there um, teaching our kids. Um, so Proverbs 22, 26 says, Do not be among those who shake hands, among those who become guarantors for debts. Don't do it. Stay away from it. Okay. Um, so now we're going to get into um, the Independence War. Um, July 4th would be our Independence War, first one. Then the second one is the War of 1812. And the reason the War of 1812 is because some radical stuff happens. Lord, the Lord God puts his stamp, his signature on both the wars. Um, so let me see here. So just a few decades after miraculously winning the American Revolution in 1783, the United States of America once again was at war with Great Britain. Hoping to punish the Americans for their previous rebellion... The British were intent on humiliating them and regaining their lost colonies. Yeah, it was a rebellion. We wanted re uh, religious freedom. We wanted to be free. We did not want to be a colony of Britain. And our founding fathers gave up pretty much everything, every one of them, because there were so many people that were like, no, we don't want to ruffle the waters with England. We don't want to go to war with them. England's going to come in, and they're going to wreak havoc on everybody, not just you guys that are trying to defect, but everybody's going to be punished. So don't do it. And so they, they were, the founding fathers were you know, really, they were very wealthy, and most of them lost everything they had. Um, but it was more important to them to be free, to have religious freedom, than to have their material items. And uh, fortunately, we had uh, a break, and we were, did become independent from England. But... Um, they say it was from a previous rebellion, but honestly, what really caused this second war, this um, wasn't just because they were trying to come and teach us a lesson. It was more that in 1811, Madison, the fourth president, refused to recharter the Bank of the United States. Um, there's reason enough for England to want to go to war with us. You don't want to recharter with us? You're not going to use our money and we're not going to be your economic system? We'll be right there with a whole bunch of guys, and we're going to teach you a lesson, and you'll get back on track, get you back on the payment program. Powerful British financiers own two-thirds of the bank's stock. British Prime Minister William Pitt stated, let the American people go into their debt funding schemes and banking systems. And from that hour, their boasted independence will be a mere phantom. Jefferson described the bank of the U.S. as a machine for the corruption of the legislator, legislature. Um, so Madison says, no, we're not going to do this. We're not going to let you rule us through finances because finances do rule. Do they not? Finances do rule. Um, the love of money. You know, a lot of people think, you know, you always hear that uh, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Well, there's a bunch that goes around that. In 1 Timothy 6, 
uh, verse 3, it says, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with a doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a sick craving for controversial questions and disputes about words from which come envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of depraved mind and depraved of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Verse 7, For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. A lot of financiers, like, he, like Napoleon said, they have, there's no loyalty. All they care about is gain, making money. So in an attempt to provoke another war, um, the British searched and seized over 1,000 American ships on the Atlantic. Worse yet, they impressed, which is forcing into military service, over 6,000 American sailors to aid them in the fight against Napoleon. This was a fate considered to be worse than death for sailors were either forced to fight the French, their former allies, or be imprisoned for the duration of the war in abandoned ships where the widespread disease, starvation, and foul water led to certain death. The American public was outraged at these actions and Congress promptly declared war on England in 1812. The war now referred to as the War of 1812 and the Second War of Independence was considered over before it began. You know why it was considered over before it began? Because we were just a bunch of pitchfork dirt farmers. And the British were coming. The British were, well, we'll read about that in a second, were battle-hardened. They've been fighting the French. They were full on. You know what, there's so many places around the world um, um, that are just British-owned. Um, uh, Singapore, um, you have got the uh, British Virgin Islands, Australia, I mean, it goes on and on. And there's so many places that the British conquered. Um, that it's absolutely amazing. And uh, there's really no reason why the U.S. wouldn't have been another one of them because we had no military whatsoever to stand up to these guys. And uh, they should have just walked over the top of us. Um, the United States was no match to the greatest empire the world had ever seen. Great Britain controlled the economy, had the latest technology, and proudly boasted to be the best and largest military in the world. With a few exceptions, the United States lost nearly all of the battles between 1812 and 1814. The British strategy was complex, but, be, but could be simplified to three main objectives to defeat the newly formed country. First, they destroyed the capital of Washington, D.C. Secondly, they would destroy the northern United States through Lake Champlain. Lastly, they would destroy the South through New Orleans. This three-pronged offensive strategy would cut the nation off from all angles, weakening their defenses and preventing them from receiving outside assistance. But God, but God, here comes God. But God intervened to protect America and its newfound democracy and committed to religious freedom. This newfound democracy and committed to religious freedom. Um, so how God intervened? 
Uh, the Battle of Washington, D.C. is a miracle. On a hot summer evening in August 1814, the British invaded Washington, D.C., the newly formed capital of the United States. They burned the White House, several government buildings, and much private property. As the British felt that their mission in Washington, D.C. was accomplished and proceeded to nearby Baltimore, three miracles in the weather assisted the Americans, thus defeating the British. An immediate rainstorm put out the fire, saving Washington, D.C. from other dest utter destruction. Okay, that could have been just a rainstorm. You know, it rains a lot back there. East Coast gets a lot of rain. Could have been just a rainstorm, but it happened this kind of timing, put these fires out. Next, an unexpected hurricane devastated the British Navy, whipping their ships around in chaos and making it impossible to proceed with their offensive on water. Third, a sudden tornado incapacitated the British Army on land. According to Ian Harvey, the National Weather Service reports that more British soldiers were killed as a result of the storm than had been killed in the battle the day before. Hmm. When's that time about a storm killing a bunch of people? I mean, just one side too, not the Americans, just the British. Two British cannons were even lifted up and moved by the force of the accompanying tornado which ripped through the middle of the city. What makes this event even more serendipitous for the Americans is that, as Smithsonian, Smithsonian reports, there have only been seven other tornadoes recorded in Washington, D.C. in the 204 years since. Pretty awesome. Praise the Lord. He wants us to have victory. We have victory. That counts today, just like it counted back then. As we seek his face, he will give us victory. As our country becomes more wicked, we'll get less victories. Battle of Plattsburgh Miracle. Less than a month later, the British attempted to invade from Canada in an effort to take the northern United States. Conflict ensued at Lake Champlain where 14,000 British fought against 5,000 Americans. Bad news for the Americans. They didn't know how to fight. Not only were the American numbers significantly lower, but they were also greatly inexperienced. The British soldiers were battle-seasoned veterans who gained their experience fighting Napoleon and his armies on the battlefields of Europe. The Americans were recent militiamen who had formerly been farmers, shopkeepers, and tradesmen. The world's finest navy fought the world's most inexperienced navy. Yet after two and a half hours, the American soldiers won. <laughs> Reminds me of King David. King David would go out and just, I don't know what King David would do. He'd take his sword and just probably go like this, and people would fall down dead. I don't even have to fight. Um, so let's see here. Um, while, there had, while there were not any drastic changes in the weather, as had been in previous battles, the unexpected victory was credited to be a miracle by many veterans. Additionally, this unexpected victory, called the Battle of Plattsburgh, halted British invasion from the north and was critical in getting them to sign a peace agreement in 1815. Battle of New Orleans... While Great Britain was willing to sign a peace treaty in 1815, they were taking months to negotiate the terms, hoping that an unexpected win on their end would grant them a last-minute victory. While exchanging formalities with American ambassadors in Europe, the British were sailing 8,000 battle-hardened veterans through the Gulf of Mexico to attack the Americans in New Orleans. Hearing news of their sneak attack, General Andrew Jackson quickly rallied the city to the defense. The 4,500 American men they were able to fight were a mix of pirates, free African-Americans, Indians, and backwoods frontiersmen. They were not typically a group that relished working together, but their attitudes were changed after, after he notably gave a patriotic address about having to unite together. 
General Jackson did all this while recovering from the wounds of two bullet holes in his left arm. In just 30 minutes, there were 2,000 British casualties with only 100 American losses. President James Madison proclaimed, history records no example of so glorious a victory obtained with so little bloodshed on the part of the victorious. The American victory at the Battle of New Orleans ended the War of 1812, and soon thereafter, peace between the two countries was officialized at the Treaty of Yent. It wasn't our military might that won all that, now was it? Obviously. So here is a congressional proclamation. This is what our presidents used to say. This is what our presidents need to say today. It'd be amazing. I think this is like just beautiful. This is what, this is what John Hancock, a congressional proclamation signed by John Hancock, president of the Continental Congress. This is pre-War of Independence. We weren't a country yet. On May 17, 1776, John Hancock set aside that day as a day of public humiliation, fasting, and prayer throughout the colonies that we may with united hearts confess and bewail our manifold sins and transgressions and by a sincere repentance and amendment of life appease his righteous displeasure and through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ obtain his pardon and forgiveness, humbly imploring his assistance to frustrate the cruel purposes of our unnatural enemies. Adding at the end of that, God save the people in lieu of God save the king. That was the, the Continental Congress, or almost you know, kind of like I want to be our first president. George Washington, as president of the United States, George Washington proclaimed a national day of thanksgiving and prayer on November 26th. It says, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, just, we had just a smidgen of that. I mean, who knows how it would change things here in the U.S. So sad that we've drifted so far from this. It really is so sad. On Thursday, January 12th, 1815, James Madison, fourth president of the United States, proclaimed a national day of humiliation, stating, I'm going to read the whole thing, the two houses of the national legislator having by a joint resolution expressed their desire that in the present time of public calamity and war, a day may be recommended to be observed by the people of the United States as a day of public humiliation and fasting and a prayer to almighty God for the safety and welfare of these states, his blessing on their arms and a speedy restoration of peace. I have deemed it proper by this proclamation to recommend that Thursday the 12th of January next be set apart as a day on which all may have an opportunity of voluntarily offering at the, at the same time in their respective religious assemblies their humble adoration to the great sovereign of the universe, of confessing their sins and transgressions, and of strengthening their vows of repentance and amendment. Um, remember, this happened... Um, in 1815, this is after, this is like, this is actually towards the end of the war of 1812 that he's doing this. I'm sure they did it before this also. They will be invited by the same solemn occasion to call to mind the distinguished 
favors conferred on the American people and the general health which has been enjoyed in the abundant fruits of the season, in the progress of the arts instrumental to their comfort, their property, and their security, and in the victories which have so powerfully contributed to the defense and protection of our country, a devout thankfulness for all which ought to be mingled with their supplications to the benefit, benef, beneficent parent of the human race, that he would be graciously pleased to pardon all their offenses against him, to support and animate them in the discharge of their respective duties, to continue to them the precious advantages flowing from political institutions so auspicious to their safety against dangers from abroad, to their tranquility in home, and to their liberties, civil and religious, and that he would in a special manner preside over the nation in its public councils and constituted authorities, giving wisdom to the measures and success to its arms in maintaining its rights and in overcoming all hostile designs and attempts against it. And finally, that by inspiring the enemy with dispositions favorable to a just and reasonable peace, its, blessing may be sp its blessings may be speedily and happily restored. James Madison. I like how it says we don't just wipe them off the face of the earth and destroy them and utterly destroy them and just mean about it, but come to favorable peace. You know, hey, let's just, you know, he's looking for peace. He's not looking for, like, today. It just seems like everything's, like, so, um, so full on, if you will. Uh, no people ought to feel greater obligation to celebrate the goodness of the great disposer of events and of the destiny of nations than the people of the United States, said Madison. So it's quite sad how much the presidents have changed. It is quite sad how it's deteriorated through the years. Um, the presidents back then, back then sound more like pastors, um, fearing and being concerned with the affairs of the father. Um, it's interesting, um, you know, contrasting today. Uh, some people believe that Barack Hussein Obama was a Muslim. I mean, he sounds like a Muslim, yeah. Uh, the very enemy of the shores of Tripoli, that song, the Marine song. Um, a little contrast in presidency there. Um, the U.S. is decaying, you guys. Abortion, pornography, homosexuality, drugs. Um, a lot of stuff self-imposed. Um, some people think that we're in the end times because things are getting so weird. So let's just take a look here at what Jesus has to say about end times. And this, let's do a little test as we move along through the, through the scripture. Uh, Luke 21, if you want to go there, verse 1. And we're going to go over what Jesus says the end times will look like. And we'll see that it's quite different from what things look like today. You can see how things are going this direction. You can see how things are leaning that direction, but certainly not there yet. And there's even a big pause before he returns. And we'll get to that. That's like seeing that the storm is coming and getting ready for it. So Luke 21, 1. Now he looked up and saw the uh, wealthy putting their gifts into the temple treasury. I just wanted to get all the context. I don't, I don't want to get out of context. I'm just going to grab all Luke 21, 1 through, and it'll get into um, the end times. But it starts off, interestingly enough. Now he looked up, Jesus, and saw the wealthy putting their gifts into the temple treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two lepta coins. And he said, truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them, for they all contributed to the offering from their surplus. But she, from her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Now, when I read that, 
I couldn't help but think of 1 Samuel 24. You have to go there. I'll read it for you. But 1 Samuel 24, 22 says, Aranua then said to David, Let my lord, the king, take and offer up what is good in his sight. Look, here are the oxen for the burnt offering, the threshing sledges, and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. Everything, O king, Araniah, gives to the king. O king, Araniah, gives to the king. And Araniah said to the king, May the Lord your God be favorable to you. However, the king said, King David, said to Araniah, No, but I will certainly buy it from you for a price. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Then David built there an altar to the Lord, and he offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the Lord responded. We talked about this at Home Fellowship, and I think it's awesome. So David built an altar to the Lord, and he offered burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. Is that what soothes the Lord? Is that doing those things, physical things, burning wood and killing cows? Does that please the Lord? No, it's the right thing to do. He told us to do it. It is the right thing to do. But is it really what he wants? No, he wants us. He wants our hearts. He wants our minds. And it says, and the Lord responded to prayer for the land. And the plague was withdrawn from Israel. So I've got a very personal question for you. What is your sacrifice? I'm not asking for an answer right now. Just want you to think about it. Lord, what, what am I doing to sacrifice for you? What is my sacrifice for the kingdom of God? So I'm going to think about you guys. Okay, um, verse 5. And while some were talking about the temple, that it was decorated with beautiful stones and vowed gifts, he said, as for these things which you are observing, the days will come when there will not be left one stone upon another, which will not be torn down. Has that happened? Yep, sure did. It was all laced in gold. And because there was gold between the rocks, they literally got every rock out and got every piece of gold. And there was not one rock standing upon the other. Verse 7, they asked him questions, saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See to it that you are not misled. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and revolts, do not be alarmed, for these things must take place first. Yeah, we're hearing these things. We're hearing about wars and revolts. Um, yeah, we're hearing about these things. But we're talking about, um, you know, we need to talk about things in biblical proportions here, you guys. We're not talking about little skirmishes and, you know, small famines and stuff like that's been happening forever. We're talking about biblical proportion things here. Um, but the end will not follow immediately. Okay, so when you hear of wars, I'm going to go back, sorry, verse 9. And when you hear of wars and revolts, do not be alarmed, for these things must take place first. But the end will not follow immediately. He's telling you, there's going to be a pause. You're going to hear about these wars and revolts, and you hear about these things, but you know what? It's not happening right away. And I think that could possibly be the time now. You know, we're hearing about these things, but it's not happening now, you guys. The return is not happening now. But it is like the Lord setting a scene saying, hey, I'm telling you, okay, you're in the Gulf of Mexico, okay? And uh, you're in Texas, say. 
And the weather service says, hey, we expect a storm to be coming in here any day now, and it's going to be gnarly. It's going to be a hurricane. And you're like, wow, okay. Do you start boarding your windows up when you see the clouds in a day or two, or do you start taking precautions immediately? You start doing it immediately because when the time comes, when everybody's going to see those clouds coming, everybody's going to be scrambling for wood. You won't be able to get it. You're going to be behind the curve. You guys, the Lord is letting us know, hey, these radical things are happening right now. The storm is coming. Start doing things now. Start preparing now. Start preparing your heart now. You know what? You might be in a nice, comfortable position right now, but you know what? Some stress and some pressure and who knows what. And you guys, you can start folding up. You need to test yourselves. You need to be prepared. You need to really be stuck in the word. We need to really be grounded in the Lord, you guys, because there will be a falling away and there will be people that give up. It will be too hard. Um, the story, when Jesus gave, the, gave a, a, a lecture, if you will, and many of his apostles left because he said the teaching was too hard. And Jesus asked his 12, are you going to leave me also? And they're like, no, you have the word of life. You're, you're God Almighty. And they're like, no, we're not going to leave. But a lot of guys did leave. And you guys, a lot of Christians will leave when things get hard. And they're going to get hard. There are so many new challenges out there. You know, back in the day, I would get in someone's car at the tire store, and I might smell some weed now and again. Maybe once a week, there'd be some weed in someone's car. You guys, every day I get in someone's car now, and there's a smell of weed in it. Um, you know, and the, and the pot nowadays is so much more powerful. Somebody the other day was telling me um, just a story about just, it just was just so much more powerful, and now here it is, and um, it's readily available. I can go to L.A. County and just go buy it. And so that's readily available. Um, just there's so many things that weren't available that are so wicked. Um, our pornography on phones, anywhere. I mean, you couldn't get it before. I remember as a kid growing up in the valley, there was a, a I think it's called the Pussycat Theater um, in Canoga Park. You, you, you went to like a regular, not that I ever did, praise the Lord, but it was there. And you, that's where you would get that kind of a movie. And, but that's like anywhere you want now. You can go and jump on any computer just about or any phone, and there it is. Weed is readily available. Alcohol is in every single store in California. It's funny, other states have their liquor stores, and they're closed certain days and certain hours. But not California. It's like, get whenever you want. But um, I guess I'm getting at you guys that the temptations are out there, and more and more temptations are out there, and a little bit of pressure can push you into those things, and you've got to be careful. I can't express that enough. You've got to be careful. You've really got to seek the Lord and pray, ask him for deliverance. You guys, just like the Jews couldn't do much in World War II, just like the American soldiers couldn't do a whole lot in the 1812, um, without the strength of the Lord, we're also dead meat. Those guys won because of the strength of the Lord. The Lord gave them strength. The Lord gave them battle. The Lord gave them the win. The Lord will give us the win. We've got to ask him for it. If you're not asking for the win, you're not going to get it. You receive not because you ask not. All right. Okay. So they asked him questions saying, Teacher, verse 7, um, when therefore will these things happen? And it goes on to say that um, it will not follow immediately. Um... So, remember, biblical proportions here. Then he continued by saying, in verse 10, 
saying to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be massive earthquakes. Have we had any massive earthquakes? We've had some big earthquakes, but we haven't had biblical proportion earthquakes. There's an earthquake talked about in Israel that is going to split the um, Mount of Olives into two. Um, so no, we haven't seen biblical proportion earthquakes. And in various places, plagues, and I added in even man-made, because they're proving that the coronavirus is man-made. You see all kinds of um, markers on them that prove that it was a man-made virus. But um, still, we don't, still, we don't see plagues. We don't see radical, radical plagues of biblical proportion. We see plagues, but not biblical proportion. Famines, yeah, they're out there, but they're not biblical proportion. And there will be terrible sights and great signs from heaven. We haven't seen that at all. Although, who knows what that's going to look like. Heidi and I were just watching a show on, Mark Dice had it, on these sound wave machines that are very, very top secret that people, back before they realized what they had, through sound waves, they can put a voice or words it will hit you via sound waves. It hits your inner ear. Your inner ear reacts nor how it normally does. And they can, you can literally, it sounds like God is talking to you. Like you're hearing somebody talk to you in your own ear, but not a person, like in your own head. And it's, um, you, Mark Dice has a whole thing on it. It's quite fascinating. But um, then with laser technology, there's so many things they can do to be like, to like wow people. Because Satan's a fake. He's going to do fake stuff to try to trick us. Um, you know, putting words in your ear and um, laser shows, you know, I mean, it'll be gnarly laser shows, but, you know, UFOs. They're trying to say they're UFOs, but it could be a laser. Who knows what it is? But, um, so we got to be careful. But, um, so signs from heaven, no. So verse 12, but before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, turning you over to the synagogues and prisons. Yeah, not really here in the U.S., but in other countries, it is happening. It's happening quite a bit in other countries. We're not hearing a whole lot about it. If you jump on, like, Christian news, uh, you will trip. I went into persecution on Christian news. There are 27 pages that have about six articles on each page uh, regarding Christian persecution around the world, and it's gnarly. You sh I started reading them, and it started just making me, like, just like turning into mud kind of it was just so un really unbelievable and but it's happening you guys um so i'm going to read a story here this is about a christian a uh, bicycle mechanic no less um christian in pakistan um lahore pakistan according to the morning star news a christian bicycle mechanic in lahore pakistan was sentenced to death last week on baseless charges of blasphemy, his lawyer said. Attorney Riaz Anjum said that in 2017, Mohammed Irfan had asked Ashfaq Massi not to charge him for a bicycle repair because he was a devotee of Muslim Sufis and saints. Massey rejected his request, saying the that he only followed Jesus and wasn't interested in Irfan's religious status as a Muslim. Andrew told the Morning Star. Police subsequently arrested the 36-year-old Pentecostal from Lahore's Green Town area, accusing him of disrespecting Muhammad. 
the prophet of Islam, by allegedly saying that Christ was the only true prophet. Masi had testified that he was framed on false charges by the complainant in the case, Muhammad Ashfaq, who is the landlord of the shop, and Muhammad Naveed, who runs a nearby bicycle and motorbike repair shop. Massey told the court that Naveed was jealous of his success. Twice he had tried to pick fights with him over clients and nurtured a grudge, the lawyer said. Muhammad Ashfaq has had been pressuring Massey to vacate the shop, ignoring the latter pleas to not displace his running business, Andrum said. Massey believes both Ashfaq and Naveed conspired to, comp to implicate him in a blasphemy case by using Irfan. Anjum said he told additional sessions judge Khalid Wazir that the first information report contained no words indicating that his client had committed blasphemy. The complaint claimed in his police statement that when Irfan told him that Massey was committing blasphemy, Ashfaq and some other Muslims went to the Christian shop and saw him insulting Islam's prophet. Yet, nowhere in the recorded testimony of FIR is there a mention of the alleged blasphemy words. It's funny, they, um, you know, they're just totally framing him. They're just totally making it up because he's a Christian. Um, it's funny, I, I've always thought it interesting that in the Ten Commandments, um, thou shalt not bear fault witness. And what happened with Jesus? Those guys bared false witness against Jesus, saying that Jesus um, did some things that weren't true. Here these guys are bringing false witness to bring down this Christian. So, um, so during the trial, Irfan did not even appear to testify as, as the prosecutor. Okay, I'm going to move on here. Um, let's see here. The prosecution presented only two out of the total five witnesses during the trial, and even their statements were contradictory, he said. The attorney said that the judge disregarded his pleas to give the benefit of the doubt to Massey, as there was no evidence against him, but the judge handed Massey the death sentence on July 4th. You hear that? The attorney said that the judge disregarded his pleas to give the, to give the benefit of the doubt to Massey, as there was no evidence against him. No evidence against him. He is innocent, but the judge handed Massey the death sentence on July 4th. Massey's brother, Muhammad Massey, said the family was reduced to tears following the judgment. Ashfaq's daughter was three years old when he was arrested five years ago. We don't know how much more time she will have to wait to be with her father. He's in jail for five years before getting this death sentence over allegedly saying um, that uh, Jesus is the true prophet. <laughs> um, the family had experienced a harsh sentence as capital punishment is mandatory for convictions under Section 295C, blasphemy Muhammad, under Pakistan's widely condemned blasphemy laws. Everyone knows that trial courts give death sentence to all those charged under Section 295-C, even if there's no proof against them, he said. We were mentally prepared, but st still hoped for a miracle. My brother was very sad and disappointed when the court announced its verdict and asked me what we will do next. It's not just there, you guys. When you start looking, um, I've noticed that you have um, in Uganda, you have in um, another area, um, it'll come to me, 
they're starting to pass a lot of these laws. A lot of these anti-blasphemy laws are being passed. Um, and so it's moving this way too. You know, it would make it very difficult for us as Christians to travel. Um, it could be very dangerous to some of these places. Indonesia, that's what I want to say. Indonesia's passing a lot of these laws that are anti-blasphemy, anti-Muhammad blasphemy laws. So it'd be very dangerous for us to travel to these countries. However, this stuff's moving to us. People, this mentality, this, this Islam, these laws are moving this direction. We're getting more and more leaders that follow Islam and they're gonna start pushing these same laws. And you guys, Joe talked about it before, the fifth and final kingdom being the nation of Islam. Very, very real, very, very possible. Can't say for sure, you had the Roman Empire, you had the other empires, but the fifth and final, very, very well could be Islam. Um, so that was in response, what happened there to, um, but before all these things, verse 12, but before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, turning you over to synagogues and prisons. And then verse 16 says, but you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, other relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Is that happening? Not so much here. We're not hearing about it, but it is happening. Um, just recently, that just took place July 4th, the one I just read. This, I have the date on here somewhere. Nansana, Uganda. A woman in central Uganda who accepted Christ at a church service on May 29th was killed later that day when her father stabbed her in the eyes for leaving Islam, sources said. After having several dreams about Christ, 28-year-old Hawa Amoti of Nansana, Wakiso district, visited a Christian neighbor early on the morning of May 29, said the neighbor, unidentified for security reasons. Quote, Amoti came to her home very early in the morning and needed to know more of Issa, Jesus, whom she had seen in a dream, unquote. He said, quote, after explaining to her about eternal life and forgiveness of sin that comes from Jesus who came to take away the sins of the whole world, she willingly accepted Jesus for the salvation of her soul. I then prayed for her and then together we went to church in Nansana, unquote. After the church service, Amodi joined the neighbor's family for lunch at his home and stayed until about 5.45 p.m. when she left for her home, he said. Her father, Haji Sharifu, Agaba and brothers had already learned that she had been worshiping Christ at church when she arrived outside their home. One of her siblings said, Agaba ordered his sons to seize and beat her, then took a sharp knife and pierced her eyes, said a brother of Amodi who tried to defend her. I want to remove these eyes so that you stop seeing churches forever, even if you die. We are not going to bury you, unquote. Agaba told her, <clears throat> according to the brother whose name is withheld for security reasons, Amodi's wailing and screaming drew neighbors who rushed over to rescue her. The Christian neighbor said, as more members of the community arrived, Agaba and his sons went inside their house. Neighbors arranged for a vehicle to rush Amodi to a nearby hospital where she succumbed to profuse bleeding from her eyes, her eye injuries, sources say. Community leaders in Nansana condemned the attack and vowed to arrest and charge Agaba, they said. Pretty gnarly, huh? 
pretty gnarly. It's happening out there, you guys. <clears throat> it's not far away from us. It's not that far away. The United States is falling like an anchor in the ocean. We are turning from God, the very God that saved us in the War of 1812. We want to kick him off the money, and nobody we trust will put on the money, huh? How's that sound? Um, the Ten Commandments, take those down. Take God out of the, out of the uh, school prayer. Take God out of all the stuff. The very one that gave us this country, we're going to kick him out of all of it. It won't be long. It won't be long until these stories will be in Texas, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. In North Dakota, da-da-da-da-da. It's coming. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. You know what? We have the Lord God Almighty. And he has us. And we know it's going to get dark. We need to know, you guys. We need to know. What's going to happen if you don't know these things? You don't hear about it. You're going to get waylaid. You're going to get waylaid. Um, okay, so now uh, verse 17 21 verse 17 of uh, Luke, and you will be hated by all peoples because of my name. Hmm. Um, yeah, you'll be hated by all people because of my name. Christian news states that Christian persecutions are greatest in Islamic run countries. Verse 18, and yet not a hair on your head will perish. God will protect us. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Not quitting by endurance. He who makes you the finish line is going to be the one that makes it. Can't quit, you guys. We're in this thing long haul. Whether he comes back or something happens to you, you've got to stay in it. You know what's going to happen to you. Our lives are not guaranteed even tonight. One of us might not get home tonight. Who knows? But you know what? You can't be afraid of death. I hope none of you are afraid of death. I hope there's not one person out there that is a Christian that says, I believe in Jesus Christ and it's afraid of death. Death has lost its sting. To be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. You think you have to be there for your family or, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's an, a great ideology where the Lord can't take care of it. If you were taken out of the picture right now, the Lord couldn't take care of the vacuum that you leave. Absolutely he can. Absolutely he can. Do not be afraid of death, you guys. Do not be afraid of death. Um, so Matthew 24, 13, but the one who endures to the end is the one who will be saved. <laughs> the end. You're, the end of your, is your own existence. The end is your own existence. When you finally go to meet him, whatever causes it. Whether you get shot at work, get in a car accident, I just found out a 20-year-old kid just died on Yosemite. Um, six o'clock, going to work. Um, he, shook, he shook his car. He, he did a little something like a day or two ago. Um, he, this, um, people said that he swerved a little bit, and lost control of the car, and went into a tree. 20 years old, driving to work, 6 a.m. Never know. Okay, so... Um, All right, um, when you see, okay, so we'll get back into end times, uh, verse 20, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, no, we don't see that, Jerusalem's not surrounded by armies, <laughs> um, although it did happen, what was it, called the Six-Day War, um, in 1966 or something like that, pretty gnarly, the Lord totally delivered Israel, <laughs> yeah, you know, War of 1812 is awesome, that Six-Day War in Israel, awesome, 
the Lord totally defeated the insurmountable odds against Israel. They should have been wiped out. If it had just been a purely tactical thing, wiped out. The Lord totally gave them favor and totally delivered Israel. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Six-day war. Check it out. Okay, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, no, that's not happening. Then recognize that her desolation is near. Uh, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are inside the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city, because these are days of punishment, so that all things will have been written will be fulfilled. Woe to those women who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Verse 25, there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting from fear and the expectation of the things that are coming upon the world. For the powers of the heaven will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Praise the Lord. Then when these things begin to take place, straighten up, lift your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Verse 29, And when he told them a parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see for yourselves, and know that summer is now near. So you too, when you see these things happening, recognize the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Verse 33. The saying, you can take this to the bank, is um, kind of a joke compared to this next little phrase, and I absolutely love it. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. that trip you out? Jesus' words will not pass away. Everything he said, every, there's not one missed word that he put out there. Every one of them is going to stand forever. <sighs> Gnarly. Okay, so now here is the warning, you guys. We've got to be careful. Verse 24, uh, Luke 21, uh, I'm sorry, 34. But be on your guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. Don't fall into these things. When you hear these stories about these people parents doing these horrific things and these horrible things happening, don't turn to the bottle. Don't turn to the worries of life. Don't be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life and that this day will come on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon those who live on the face of the earth. But stay alert at all times praying that you will have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. <laughs> Live like Jesus is going to return because he is. Also, history does repeat itself. Jesus came once, he's going to come again. So these are some of the signs of today, you guys. Praise the Lord for his blessings, seen and unseen. Uh, we have new enemies here in this land. Um, just the other day, at least 16 members of Congress were arrested by the Capitol Police on Tuesday for blocking traffic outside the Supreme Court during an abortions right demonstration. Okay, how far have we fallen? How far have our presidents fallen? How far has our, our leaders of the United States fallen? They've gone from prayers like we heard from Madison to members of at least 16 members of Congress going out there and, and you know, fighting for abortion. Um, huh. Um, 
Some have entered the U.S. I mean, it's just amazing. George Soros. George Soros was born August 12, 1930 in Budapest, Hungary. He is an American financier. <laughs> That's who George Soros is. He's not American. He controls a ton of money. He's a financier. He is one wicked dude. Not even in our country. And look at all the problems he's creating. How many, how many um, people in our political arena are paid by him? for his will to be done. Pretty gnarly. Um, but you guys, we still got to fight the same way we always do, and that's fight with the Lord. The Lord will go before us and defend us and make things happen. Um, you know, another thing that's happening, the Supreme Court justice uh, not knowing what a woman is. This is an, another current event thing. The Bible mentions women singularly 357 times and women plural 181 times. Maybe this justice needs to read the Bible. Uh, this lady, Linda Greenhouse, says there are few sites more disconcerting than a Supreme Court argument than smart justice is playing dumb. Does that make sense? There are few sites more disconcerting during a Supreme Court argument than smart justices playing dumb. That's exactly what that justice was doing. She was playing dumb as you could get. She was one of the smartest people in the country, not knowing what a woman is. Huh. Um, gun control is using both hands. Um, the Second Amendment right is there, you guys, not so we can shoot each other, but so that we can't be ruled by a government. Um, Australia, when they wanted to crack down on coronavirus, they would just come to your house and take you and put you in a camp. Tough luck. Whether you like it or not, that's where you're going. You had no way to defend yourself against that. And who knows what? It could be something different next time. It doesn't have to be coronavirus. It could be, we don't like what you said, and we're going to take you to an execution camp. How are you going to defend yourself? I mean, you just take, just take it up a notch, and you got no defense mechanism at all. That Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, is so that we can, um, so we can uh, protect ourselves from a tyrannical government. <laughs> it's so twisted. They've got it making it look like guns are just there to hurt people. Um, you know what? And, and people die all the time. I hate to say it. There are going to be shootings. There's always going to be sh shootings, murders, stuff like that. It's always going to happen. How many people die in the U.S. daily? 7,700 people die in the U.S. every single day. Annually, 2.8 million people die in the U.S. every single year. Every hour, 323. One every 14 seconds. People die, you guys. Sometimes it's going to be by a gun, sometimes by a hammer, car accident, falling down. Um, pick it. It happens. People die. The trick is to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, gun, gun stop crime 2.5 million times every year. They prevent violent crime. They prevent crime. And it, it went on to say, not even shots being fired, just a gun being purposed, just being brought out, brandished, stops crime. Okay, you guys, I've got to get into video games. I know we're running out of time here, but I really want to touch on video games because we set the stage for all the stuff that's happening. Our, our world is becoming... Um, you know, obviously on a, a, a tremendous decline. And now we throw in this thing called video games, the greatest waste of time that there is. I mean, I, I can't think of a better way to waste time. Speaking personally, I was totally, totally hooked like 12, 15 years ago. And what, what kind of got me was one, my wife, she's like, hey, you know what? Just think about this for a second. And then two, the video game itself would accumulate the amount of hours you, you'd played. And I remember looking at one time and it said, 
28 days, eight hours, and minutes. And I thought, 28 days, 28 days. There's 24 hours hmm, in each day times 28. So, no, 25 times 25 is 650 hours. That's one game. They had a new game every year. Every, every year a new game comes out. So who knows how many thousands of hours I personally spent playing Call of Duty, doing absolutely nothing, not praying, not reaching out, not socializing, becoming more of an introvert is what it does. It makes you an introvert. It makes you not want to have friends because you want to be on the console and you don't want people bugging you. Hey, let's go talk. Let's go to coffee. Let's go eat. Let's go do. No. How about we don't do any of that stuff? How about I don't know any of you and I'm going to go get on this thing. You know, Sony's deal used to, their, um, their term was, um, their, their, their slogan was, uh, um, live in your world, play in ours. But you know what? It's flipped over. People want to live in that world and they don't want to go back into in reality. And my point is of all that is it is the biggest waste of time, you guys. Um, there's eight effects, eight negative effects about um, video games I'm going to just touch on. I know we're running out of time. Um, but, you know, me personally, I remember thinking if I went to jail, I'd be fine. I could go out in the courtyard for like an hour, get some sunshine, maybe do some push-ups, go back to my cell, and just play video games for the next 23 hours. Maybe do some sleeping, go back out, get some sunshine. No joke. I mean, it's, 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 it reaches into your soul, and you just want to play that stupid game. So be careful. Um, parents, be careful of your kids and adults. They say that half of the gamers now are adults. It's not just kids, you guys. Half are adults. And I don't know what the age group is, but it's, it's gnarly. Um, I would try stopping at midnight. Wouldn't happen. I would throw the game away. Then take out the trash the next day. Um, then I'd throw in the trash. Then the next day I'd be like, you know what? You, you got to do more than that. You got to cut it. So I'd take a pair of scissors and cut it. So I couldn't put it back in the game. Um, I get so mad sometimes. Um, so thrilled to win sometimes. It was, it's a total, it, you guys, it's a, if, you, if you haven't played, it's an absolute rush. Um, Heidi says it made me angry. Um, you get a dopamine rush. There's adrenaline. You're literally playing, and you're getting these dopamine rushes. You're getting these adrenaline rushes. It is gnarly. I mean, you're, you're jumping. I mean, it's, it is very, very intense. And you know what? It's getting worse. Now they've got that, um, the, the goggles, the VR, virtual reality goggles, which, you know, before you had to look at a screen and play the game. Now you can, like, look right and see what's to the right and look up and see a helicopter and look in, you know, it's getting gnarlier. Uh, it's going to get really, really intense. It's going to get a lot worse. Um, you had a pride. Who's the, who's the man on the battlefield? Um, you guys, the language, if your kids are in it, the language is horrible. Everything you can imagine is being talked about on those video games. Everything. Sexual, um, slangs, you name it, it's being talked about. It is not clean. It is R on the box for a reason because it is gnarly. Um, you know, I'm going to skip the negative effects. I kind of talked about There's health issues, um, body aches, headaches, poor body posture, um, Physical things like uh, talking and walking in the morning or evening, cycling, playing outdoor games, creative games, it all becomes boring. All those things become boring because the game is so gnarly. Um, other things, diabetes, heart problems, cholesterol, and severe long-term health problems um, people suffer from. Insomnia, 
um, lack of concentration. The more you're focused on playing video games, the less you can concentrate on other activities. You need complete focus when you're gaming. You do. You don't want any distractions. You don't want the phone to ring. You don't want anything. Um, if you're in school, poor academic performance because you are putting everything into your, into your game. Um, lead, leads to social isolation. Absolutely true. If you find your kids pushing away on you or friends pushing away on you and they're, and they're gaming, they want to be on that game. They want to be on that game more than they want to be with you. Um, heavy. Um, there's online predators. Stuff happens with online predators. Um, anxiety, depression, uh, lower self-esteem, negative thoughts, lack of ability to succeed on specific things or common mental impacts online video gaming gamers face. Increased aggressive behaviors, aggressive and violent shooter games such as inappropriate Roblox games, they end up developing aggressive behaviors. Okay, so answer the following question as honestly as you can. Do you have times when you relive your gaming experience? Next one. Do you spend a lot of time thinking about future gaming experience? Do you ever hide when you are gaming? Do you lie about how much time you spend playing games? If someone interrupts a game, do you get very angry? Have you ever binged on gaming after you have been forced to take a break? When you feel upset, does gaming help you feel better? Do you think gaming, do you think about gaming right after you wake up in the morning? Have you found ways to play games when you're not at home? Is your sleep suffering because of the time you spend gaming? Do you try to set limits for yourself with gaming, but then you break those limits? Have you shirked your responsibilities so that you can game? Do you feel guilty or shameful about your gaming habits and behaviors? Is gaming beginning to affect your relationships? Is gaming taking the place of other things that you once enjoyed? If someone tells you you're playing games too much, do you become defensive and angry? Well, check this out. If you answered more than two of the above questions with a yes, you most likely have a gaming addiction. You know what? I bet you there was two I didn't have on there. Um, another sign of the time, sex trafficking. You've got actors, politicians, everybody's in it. I mean, is there no cute anymore in anybody? about, I mean, unbelievable. I mean, it's just hor horrifying what's happening with sex trafficking. Um, drugs everywhere. Tremendous amounts of drugs everywhere. Many legal, in fact. Children on Ritalin. For children and teens, 12 to 17, methaphalidine, which is Ritalin, methylin, metadone, concerta, was the most common prescribed dispensed. It is used to treat ADHD. Contraceptive prescriptions rose 93%. Prescriptions for ADHD drugs were up 46%. That was 2002 to 2010 in teenagers. You wonder why these kids are put on these gnarly drugs. I mean, it starts off meth, <laughs> methylphilidate. I mean, I don't know what it is exactly, but I heard it's a speed. I heard the kids sell it because it cranks them up. Um, you know, putting these kids on these things, you wonder why they're drug addicts. You know, it's like, come on, seriously. Um, cartels ruling governments and murdering people in huge numbers. Um, abortion, um, you know, it's beautiful because now a woman can't just go down the street and get an abortion. And, and well, in a lot of states, like what, 23 or so, they've actually got to think about it. If they really want to get an abortion, they've got to think about it, get in a car, plan a trip, drive to another state and get an abortion. Way easier, I mean, way, way more difficult than just going down the street and getting it done. And it's fantastic. Hopefully a lot will be um, adopted. Hopefully adoptions go way up. 
A lot of families will be complete. They can't have kids. Um, you have Planned Parenthood commercials uh, out telling Americans to stand up for their right. Their right. Puke. Um, the fetus has its own DNA and a heartbeat at four weeks. And fetus is Latin for baby. Um, Christian persecution, highest in countries run by Islam. I'd read it, but we're out of time. Um, the Georgia Guidestones, you hear about that? Uh, the Georgia Guidestones, they were just got blown up. It's pretty gnarly. Um, man, I'll get into it more. Maintain humanity under 500,000 in perpetual balance with nature. Give me a break. That's just a bunch of fluff on the end there. In perpetual balance with nature. Number two, guide reproductive, uh, reproduction wisely. And then it says improving fitness and diversity. Improving fitness and diversity, I mean, isn't that what like Hitler wanted to do? Make the Aryan race? <laughs> isn't that the exact same thing? Guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. We want fit Aryan race, so we're going to get rid of the not fit. And uh, Okay, number three, unite humanity with a living new language. Sounds quite uh, spiritual and uh, done in crude Christ. Uh, rule passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. Yeah, don't be a fanatic for Jesus. You can just be like so-so for Jesus. You can just be mellow for Jesus. You can't, uh, you know, express. Uh, number five, protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Number six, let all nations rule internally, resolving extreme disputes in a world court. In a world court. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. Uh, one world government, right? Um, I like this one. Number, I'm going to stop on number seven. Avoid petty laws and useless officials. Who decides those petty laws and those useless officials? Uh, that's enough of that. All right. Uh, in closing, the end of Romans 13 reads, uh, so Romans 13, 11 says, Do this, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we first believe. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let's rid ourselves of the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and debauchery, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God. He who doesn't love does not know God. For God is love. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we may be called the sons of God. And then lastly, guys, in closing, if we have this Heavenly Father who loves us so much, things are going so bad, right? The world's coming so bad. We have this Heavenly Father that loves us. Scriptures say that if you being evil give good things to your children. How much greater will your Father in heaven will give you good things to those who ask him? Do you guys think that even those things may be getting gnarlier and gnarlier and harder and harder, that your heavenly Father who gives good things is going to let you just get crushed? He might let you die. You might die. Everybody's going to die. It might not even be in a, in a, in a nice way. It might, even be a, it might even be a quick death. But be prepared because he's with you. He's going to take care of you. It may not finish out the way you thought it was going to finish out, but put your trust in him wholeheartedly. Don't be afraid of death. 
Trust him to the end, you guys. The guys on the boat, his disciples, when the waves are crashing and they wake him up, Jesus, we're going to die. These are fishermen, tough guys. They know, what the, they know what the weather's about. They know the boat's going down. So what? The boat went down. So what? So they all died on the boat. There was Jesus. Would it have made any difference? You would have changed some things, but still, the, the, my point is, is that you guys, even if the boat goes down and you're with Jesus, you're with Jesus. Don't sweat it. Don't sweat it. The boat's going down. We don't know when or what or how exactly, but just be prepared. Walk with him closely. Know he's with you. Know he's got your back. He's your dad, that will, your, your Abba Father, who will give you good things. Ask him for good things. Ask him to watch over you, protect you, and guide you. All right, you guys? All right, so with that, let's go and bow our heads and, and thank the Lord. Father.